I don't know how it started, but early on in my, my ministry, in my life with you here, I started doing this thing at the beginning of the service where uh, I tell you about this prayer that I've been praying, and then other people started praying that same prayer, this prayer that, that when we gather here, we'd have this encounter with the living God. Uh, I did it again this morning. And, uh, and, you know, some of you are probably annoyed by that. You feel like it's repetitive. You know, there's other prayers that I could be praying. Uh, but I have heard from a number of you that you appreciate that uh, because you say, you know, that's, that's what I need. <laughs> um, I don't just need religion. I don't just need a community. I don't just need morality. I need God. Like the real deal, I need to meet God. And of course, I, I think these encounters with God are a good thing. I, I tell you that it's good news that God is here. But I think our story today complicates the good news. I think Exodus 3 suggests that when we actually do encounter the living God, it does not go as we often expect or hope it will go. So if you are going to pray for an encounter with the living God, brace yourself. Brace yourself because for starters, the encounter often will not happen when you expect it will happen. The opening of our passage has an important detail. It tells us that Moses is in the desert. Still. It's been 40 years. It's been 40 years since Moses killed that Egyptian and, and then uh, ran away to the desert. It was a really disappointing moment for us, right? Because we all knew that Moses was supposed to be this hero. He's going to rescue his people. It's going to be great. But if that's what he's supposed to do, he's in the wrong place. Right? He's not in Egypt like negotiating peace or like fighting for the release of his people. He's in the desert hiding. And our passage makes clear, this is not where he's supposed to be. So it's this very strange expression in verse 1. Um, it says that he's on the far side of the desert. Some of you might remember the King James version of this one. They translate it real literally. It says that he's on the back side of the desert. It's a weird thing to say. Um, but I think that means he's not just in the wrong place. He is on the back side of the wrong place, okay? That's, that's how far away from the right place he is. And I think his, his physical location, that is, a, it's like a metaphor for his spiritual state, okay? So 40 years ago, he's got this big coming out party. He's, he's the chosen one. He's going to save his people. And he blows it, right? Like, and he doesn't just blow it. I mean, he, he kills a guy and he, he disappoints Everybody, and, and the one Hebrew he interacts with, rejects him. And so instead of saving his people, he has to run away just to save himself. Right, and so to us, like the reader, it sure seems like God's plan is unraveling. Right, like, like maybe Moses, like maybe he had his chance to be used by God. But now, he's damaged goods. He's the wrong guy, obviously. And, and he's in the wrong place. And he's at least 40 years late. 
And yet the miracle of Exodus. God meets Moses anyway. And I think that's incredible. <laughs> you know, I, I think some of us know what it's like to have our lives turn out in entirely the wrong way. I thought I'd have this great job. I have a terrible job. I thought I'd have this family. I'm alone. I thought I'd be successful. I can't pay the bills. I think this is a problem because we have this idea, and it's so culturally ingrained, we have this idea that God works in the lives of people who have it together. People with great kids and then good jobs, they got a plan for retirement. Right? People whose lives have direction and purpose. God works through them, right? Moses' life has none of these things. He's not just in the wrong place. He is on the far side of the wrong place. His life is not together. God shows up anyway. The other thing we learn about Moses' encounter comes in verse 3. Moses says, I will go over there and see this strange sight. So he sees a bush on fire. That's weird. Uh, but yeah, it's a desert. It was dry. You know, I don't know. Stuff catches on fire. Is that true? Does stuff catch on fire in the desert? I'm looking at the cruises on this one. I, I think maybe it does. But notice what happens. Moses is curious enough that he notices the bush is not burning up. I mean, that's weird, but you've got to realize that would take a minute to figure out. which means he stopped. He's studying this thing. He's like, oh, that's weird. And then this is the key word. Moses went over there. And, and the Hebrew word for go over there in verse 3, it's basically, it's the word for detour. It's a detour. And I think detour is kind of like a theme word for our passage. Okay? So I read a pastor who pointed this out. Spiritual encounters, like encounters with God, often require at least one and usually two detours. Okay. So first of all, Moses' whole life, his whole life is on a detour, right? <laughs> um, like we thought we knew how this story was going to go, right? We thought we knew the road he was going to take. It was like the perfect setup for the hero. Instead, he's a fugitive on the run in the desert. Okay, so he is on a detour. When bad stuff happens to us, okay, when our lives get all turned around and, and detour-like, we often assume that God is further away from us. Right? And I think we assume that because we assume that whatever it is that we imagined our lives would be like, like that's what God wanted for us to so God wanted us to have that job, and God wanted us to have that happy family. But the truth is, when we are turned around and unsettled, like when our lives are on a detour, that is often when we are actually like finally ready to meet God. Like when everything's going great, um, God kind of slips to the background. 
I think it's when we are on a detour that we're often like finally ready for God. But not quite yet. Moses needs one more detour. He needed to go over there. Right, so he could have just kept going. Like, meh, yeah, bush on fire, big deal. But he noticed. He stopped what he was doing. I think that a lot of us have lives that are on the first detour. Okay. A lot of us have lives that have gone in weird directions. We're on the first detour, but I don't think many of us slow down enough for the second detour. Moses had to go over there to really meet God. He had to slow down. He had to stop. He had to, he had to pay attention. So finally he does, okay? He takes two detours. One of them he chose. One of them he definitely did not choose. And he finally meets God. And you know it's God that he meets because of the fire. So God is often depicted in fire. You got the, the pillar of fire later in Exodus. You got fire on Mount Sinai. You got fire on Mount Carmel. Hebrews 12, you might remember, talks about how God is a consuming fire. Gods were often depicted in fire. Then there's the booming voice, right? Very godlike. Take off your sandals. Okay. Moses is having like this very intense, like prototypical encounter with God. And then God turns the table. And he tells Moses. I am sending you. This is the other thing about having an encounter with God. If you really do encounter the living God, your encounter must become an exchange. So other people had encounters with God in the Bible, right? Abraham met God near Haran, and Isaiah met God with that like, crazy vision in Isaiah 6, and, and Moses gets his burning bush. They all had these encounters, but they didn't really just bask in the glow of it. Almost immediately, they responded. And the response is usually not easy. I mean, it's not what they wanted to do in any case. It, it is, it's something that required faith. So Abraham is told to leave everything and move to a faraway country. Isaiah is told to preach this message of, of justice and truth to people who will not listen to him and who will hate him for it. And Moses is told to go and get up in the face of the most powerful man in the world and tell him to release his free labor. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> but see, when you have an encounter with the living God, you need to respond. And so for us on Sundays, you know, this encounter with God at church that we pray for... Church is not just about us getting something. Well, you know, what'd you get out of church today? Wrong question. Right question, 
how will you respond? Like, like what's God calling you to do? All right, one last observation. How is Moses ever going to explain this to the people back in Egypt? I mean, it's one thing to have an encounter with God. It's another thing to tell somebody else about it and not sound crazy, right? I mean, picture Moses showing up to the Hebrews. He's like, yeah, so hey, guys, hey, hi, it's Moses. Uh, you might remember me from the time I killed that guy. Um, just been hiding in the desert for the last 40 years, uh, but I got good news. I was on this hike, and there was like this bush. Bush was on fire. I know, not impressive, but it wasn't burning, which was weird. And then God spoke to me from the bush. Uh, did I mention it was on fire and not burning up? But I, anyway, he spoke to me from the bush, and he was like, hey, Moses, take off your sandals. And he was like, hey, also, get my people out of Egypt. So anyway, just wanted you all to know that God spoke to me through a plant, and, uh, and now he wants you all to risk your lives and run away with me now. So, anyway, anybody have any questions? Right? Maybe, maybe a few questions, maybe. You know, I think some parts of his story they're going to get. God speaking in a fire. Okay, I mean, God's do that. God telling him to take off his sandals. Eh, okay, sure. You know, that makes sense. You know, gods are holy. Take off your sandals. But the bush. That's a weird detail. Uh, you know, it was common in like ancient Near East cultures for the gods to be depicted by trees. Yeah, you have some big epic tree nearby and really old. People thought those were really special. You know what no culture in history has ever thought is spiritually significant? A bush. Not one culture has ever thought a bush was spiritually significant. There is no great deity that has ever shown up in a shrub. And Moses realizes this, right? I mean, he realizes his story has holes in it. I mean, even if he could get them to believe the bit about the bush, right? they'd also have to believe that God had spoken to somebody as sketchy as him, right? And that God had showed up to Moses, like not in a temple or not in Pharaoh's court, which would kind of make sense, but had showed up to him on the far side of nowhere. And so Moses kind of anticipates this problem. He's like, God, uh, so what am I supposed to tell these people about you? I mean, he's thinking, I can't tell them the truth. Right? I mean, oh yeah, there's, there's this holy God of fire was talking to me the other day. What? Right? This God of all power showed up in a bush. Right? And they're going to laugh him out of the room. What am I supposed to say? And this is God's answer. 
I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You notice he doesn't say, Moses, I am whoever you need me to be. You know, a lot of us have a God like that. He's the God we want, right? He's, he's the God who backs us up and validates our opinions and approves of all of our spending habits. Right? I mean, for some of us, our God's, he's kind of a softy. He just loves people. He just wants everybody to feel good, you know? And, and so if that's our God, we like some parts of this story. We like that God used Moses. Ah, what a failure, Moses. So good that God would use him. And we like that God showed up in a bush. And like, ah, yeah, like way to defy ancient Near East stereotypes, right? That's so good. But for some of us, our God is demanding. He's got expectations. He's judging people he's not to be messed with. Right? Our God doesn't show up as a softie. He shows up in a fire. He doesn't say, oh, give me a hug. He says, take off your sandals. It occurs to me that some of us have a God that's all bush, all humility and acceptance and love, but there's no fire. There's no holiness. There's no expectation. There's no awe. And then others of us, I think, have a God that's all fire, but no bush. Moses knows this is going to be a problem because we didn't think gods could be like this. A God of fire and a God of bush. A God of holiness and a God of compassion. A God who is totally committed to justice and totally committed to mercy. And Moses wasn't the first person to wonder about this. Many years later, Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching, and, and most people actually don't read what Jesus said. They, they talk about him, but they don't read him. But if you read it all, you'll notice a bunch of things, at least two. First, there is nobody more strict than Jesus. Uh, I mean, the most strict people of his day were these Pharisees. It was kind of like a, a religious sect. Jesus tells his followers that they should be more righteous than the Pharisees. I mean, his, his standard for morality was like off the charts. Read the Sermon on the Mount sometime. Uh, like, do not mess. It is very hard. His standards were off the charts. But then this is the other thing. He just constantly was inviting all these like suspect, immoral people that nobody expected anything from. He was like, hey, like, prostitute, like, come follow me. Like, hey, like, societal reject, like, come follow me. Right? So he had like these fierce expectations, and yet this open invitation. And, and the Pharisees who, who listened to Jesus' teaching, I mean, they didn't get it. I mean, they were used to the rules, 
but they were weirded out by this open invitation. Like they didn't think just anybody could do this. And so in John 8, they, they say to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, like our God is not how you are describing him. We know God, they said. We are the children of Abraham. Are you greater than Abraham, they asked him. Jesus has this very intense answer. Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. That's a weird answer, right? And they got it right away. It's a quote. It's Exodus 3. He was claiming to be greater than Abraham. In fact, they knew he was claiming to be equal to God. And the Bible says the very next thing they did after he said that, they picked up rocks and they got ready to kill him. See, there's never been a God like this before. A God of perfect holiness who's still willing to work with damaged goods like Moses. But see, that is the gospel. That's what the cross is about. That's at the heart of our encounter with the living God. We have a God who accounts for every injustice in the world. Every perpetrator will have to answer. Every debt will be paid. No sin is going to be overlooked or brushed aside. But at that same moment, when the debt is paid, that moment when God's holiness is most on fire, right, this is Jesus dying on the cross, we never see God's compassion more clearly. That's the cross. A God of fire and justice who invites us to follow him anyway. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together.